very honored to have Josefina and her husband, Joe, with us. Josefina is an SRA survivor and her husband is a, an SRA hero. He's very supportive. He's very helpful. Josefina, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So glad you came on. And Joe, thank you for joining us today. Man, absolutely. Thanks for the privilege. So Josefina, tell us your story. So where do I begin? Oh my goodness. So um, I thought I'd start with my upbringing. Um, just a little bit of background. So I grew up in evangelical church and I thought I had a very normal upbringing. And, you know, my father served in various positions at the church from elder to deacon. And he kind of rotated at one point he was chairman of the elder board. Uh, he has a testimony that could make you cry. Um, so he's very believable and he knows all the lingo, but, um, I never really felt comfortable with him taking my kids. So as I got older, I started realizing that something was very off. So there was that, I, you know, when I got married to my husband, um, I would tell him little things about, you know, my childhood and the past. And he'd kind of look at me just wide-eyed and just kept saying, that's not normal. That's not normal. So it took a long time for me to realize before I even had kids that things weren't quite the way they should have been. So not quite things, godly. What things was Joe noticing that weren't normal? So she would say how she essentially had zero to none of memories, childhood memories until the age of 12. I mean, she can maybe count on one hand, the number of memories she has up to the age of 12. That was a huge red flag me right to be in the beginning. Um, the house I was born in, we left when I was three. And I remember the layout of the house. I remember being two years old in my room. I can tell you the whole layout of the whole house. I have memories from two years old on and um, my sister and I were kind of known for having, uh, pretty good memories <laughs> and dates and that kind of thing. And people look at us like, wow, you're pretty weird. And I said, well, it's a memory thing that just was a huge red flag to me when the moment she said that she had like zero memories. And then I asked her and she'll actually go into this, but I said, do you have memories before 12 when you were not at home? And she said, yes. And then things started kind of yeah, the puzzle pieces started getting put in the box. Yeah, I'll elaborate on that in a, uh, a little later. But um, when I uh, when I when he was telling me these things, I justified it because I had a concussion when I was a kid. So I always thought that having not very many memories up until the age of twelve was just normal because of the concussion. But and I'll explain later. I contacted my brother uh, just about a year and a half ago when I started kind of getting into the discovery phase of all these things and trying to put pieces together. He does not know about the SRA, but he does know about our toxic family. So I did call him up and I asked him just casually, do you have any memories, you know, as a kid and, you know, and he, he's right away, zero, none. Wow. And that was a very big clue for me, um, that something was totally off, but I couldn't put my fingers on it at the time growing up. Um, we looked like the perfect family. But, you know, there's little clues along the way I would, I was told, um, like my, my mother would teach Sunday school and she taught a class on cults and, you know, she would tell me, I would look at the material she was teaching on and she would go into certain cults, um, and we would go to parades and we'd see the Shriners, you know, riding around their motorcycles. And she would just point it to say, oh, that's a cult. And that's as far as it ever got, as far as anything with a Freemason component, she told me things like my paternal grandmother 
had gotten into seances, um, but she got saved later. So it was always very sugar coated. There was a little bit of glimpses of my, you know, their past, but it was very, very sugar coated. So I found out and I'll get into it later. I, I found out a lot more. It's like, I have two different realities now. You know, I wrote it, don't wrote them down on paper. I have the memories and my childhood growing up. And then the last two years, it's totally different. It's like looking through a totally different lens. Yeah. There were things, um, in, uh, about four years ago, I cut my parents out and, um, I was, I was at a Christian counselor's office and I, I happened to mention, you know, it wasn't anything with abuse because I didn't have any memories of abuse. It had nothing to do with SR, I mean, nothing with abuse, but I happened to mention, you know, I have an uneasy feeling around my father and, um, I hated, I, I felt guilty that I even had bad feelings about my father when he would come over and then take the kids, you know, to be spending the night there. There was just always this very uneasiness, but I pushed it down as what a bad daughter I am to be thinking such things about my father. But I mentioned to the Christian counselor four years ago, some incidences when I was a kid, and I'll go into one of the incidences, but um, he had explained to me at that time, he said, God will reveal those things to you in the right time. Let's not go poking around. He said, and I didn't understand what he was saying until later. He was explaining how um, sometimes there's a reason why your memory is just, you know, kind of shut off to certain things. Cause I told him it was very common for my father. And it was like almost a big joke in the family. It was very common for me to wake up at all ages, even up to the time I got married, but to wake up with him standing over me and you know, there'd be times where, and what he would do is if I would wake up and he's standing over me, he just back out of the room slowly and not say a word. And it was at all hours of the night. And this happened ever since I can remember, I, you know, it's weird. I have certain memories, but many memories I don't have before the age of 12, but I do have a handful of memories opening my eyes to see him standing there and then backing out. And then as I got older, what happened was I'd start sensing his presence before he got to the bedside. So it's almost like God was waking me up. And then, so I'd, I'd wake up maybe when I was 13 and 14, I'd wake up and he was halfway to the bed. He wasn't all the way there. When I was a kid, he would get to the bed. But when I was 13, 14, he'd be halfway in. And by the time I was 20, 21, he made it into a big joke. He'd walk, just barely get into the doorway and I'd sense him and open my eyes up. And if it was four in the morning or five in the morning, he, you know, say to my mother, how does she know that I'm here? And it was just a big joke. All the siblings knew it was this thing. So I mentioned to the counselor that, and, you know, just chalked it up into my, the back of my mind. And there was one other clue when I was in second grade, I uh, very specifically remember this. It was like maybe 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. I was um, in my, at my desk and it's like, I just woke up. Like, I don't remember getting dressed. I don't remember at the car ride there. I don't remember any details, except it's almost like I came out of a surgery anesthesia at about 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. And I looked down at my yellow shirt and I had grease all over my shirt. And I remember thinking, why did my mom let me come to school with this shirt on? Because I was embarrassed because I had to wear this dirty shirt all day. You know, a few years ago, and I was telling him this before we put the pieces together, he said, you know, your father was a mechanic, right? And he owned his own shop. I said, yeah. He goes, wouldn't he oftentimes sleep away from the home at this, at the, at, at the workplace? I said, yes. And he said, well, 
I wonder if, you know, maybe he drove you to school and there was a reason why you have, you know, it, it looked like me- mechanic grease mm-hmm. on yeah. my shirt. So, but I didn't know how it was there. I don't know how I got there. Nothing. So those were just two kind of like him coming in the room in the middle of the night, you know, and me just sensing it. There were times I'd wake up and my shirt was off. It would be like by my feet somewhere. And I just think maybe I did it in my sleep, but I don't sleepwalk. I never, you know, do those types of things. So those were just clues that when I was telling my husband that we were, it just raised a lot of red flags. So, um, but yeah, we cut them out in 2017 and, uh, in 2019, that's when things started finally kind of, uh, surfacing. surfacing. Can we go back to why sure. you cut them out? Why specifically? Oh yeah. So, um, I have a sister, um, who's extremely abusive physically. Uh, she's very narcissistic, can't be trusted, um, has a ton of anger issues. And I had to cut her out a couple years before that. And then it got awkward with my parents because they were very angry at me for doing that because suddenly their perfect world had you know collapsed. So um, we did that for a couple of years. And then I guess that is a key point. I sent my father an email in 2017 saying, can we like work on our relationship first before you take my daughters on vacation? Because he was supposed to take them away to vacation. And now I look back at that and I wonder what he was going to do with my girls. But, um, I sent him an email saying, look, we need to work on a relationship. Our relationship isn't good ever since, you know, the whole thing with my sister happened. And he responded back so abnormally that the counselor and then a trusted pastor looked at those responses and said, his response doesn't match what you requested. Meaning most fathers, if their daughter says, Hey, I've noticed many things about a relationship. I want to go to counseling and work it out. They're not going to respond with such anger. And all he could focus on was being angry that he couldn't take my girls. It wasn't the relationship was bad. It was, he was so angry about the girls and not not having access to them. That was a good call. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the reason about us cutting them off was, and especially the sister was Josephine and I agreed that no one is going to have a relationship with our kids without having a relationship with us. That's where I was like, and my whole thing too was um, family is not going to treat our kids quote unquote well and treat us like crud. That just, that, that, that doesn't fly with me. And that just was not going to happen. So that's where all this stemmed from first the sister. And then it came down to, well, if it's going to be the sister, then it's, you know, they all got to stand behind the sister. So, and um, that was one of the reasons why. Yeah. That whole that whole conversation started. My, my sister, ever since she was little, and I don't remember these things. I actually had a former neighbor tell me about many instances because she was a babysitter and she lived right next door. And she told me things I didn't even know about incidences with my sister trying to break my foot, trying to do all sorts of things I have no memory of. Um, and as I got older, you know, th- she got very physically violent. She put my head through a drywall stud when I was 21. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, so, all right. So, uh, with my sister in 2015, when we made the break, when we kind of realized how toxic everything was with past abuse, 2017 comes along, we cut out my sister. Well, uh, 2019 comes along and that was the year that things really started changing. So, um, we went and visited friends who we hadn't met yet. Uh, we met them online and made a really good connection with this couple. So this is May now 2019. So two years ago. 
she must have just noticed something that I didn't notice. I would I, I told her some of the stories about my father with the shirt, and I told her about my father with the um the, the standing by the bedside. And I'm not sure what it was except for the Lord who had her say this. And she asked me, she goes, do you have any Freemason in the family? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and I said, in fact, my mom taught Bible study, you know, nothing. And she told us her story about how, you know, she was abused and, you know, that's kind of another story, but she saw something and she said, you know, I really think you need to go talk to um, a man named Dr. Dickinson, who I'll talk to you about in a minute um, and talk to another lady named Rebecca Davis. And I got her permission to share her name. I go to see Dr. Dickinson in June of 2019. And you're kind of sitting there going, well, a friend recommended I see you, but I don't know why I'm here kind of thing. Just going to talk about some of my family members. You know, it was just, I wasn't sure why I was there, except I knew it, was, it must've been just the Lord drawing us because that's the only way I can explain it. Um, Dr. Dickinson, what he does is he taught, um, at Moody Bible, uh, at the school, sorry, Moody Bible Institute. And he was chairman of theology there. And he taught on spiritual warfare, demonology and angelology. And he was giving us his background after, you know, listening to him for about an hour. He asked me a lot of questions. He right away said, you were used in a ritual as a child. And it just, it, it floored me because no knowledge of any of that, no knowledge, no memories of abuse, nothing. Um, he had such credentials though, and other people that we knew had seen him and had such great uh, results with seeing him. So I listened to what he said. Um, he was explaining the differences between um, deliverance or, or uh, demonization, possession. He kind of went through, um, how would you explain it? He went through the, I guess the basics of what the Bible has to say about it and how, you know, a Christian can't be possessed but they can be, you know, demonized or they can, you know, things can attach to you, um, you know, depending on, you know, certain things in your past. So after about an hour and a half, he went through a lot of questions and lo and behold, there was a lot of demonic attachment there that I didn't know about. And uh, it was eye opening. And I walked away thinking, whoa, that was interesting. But he told me, he said, start paying attention to dreams. You have start paying attention to just things out of the ordinary, write them down. So I did that. And um, something interesting happened. I went and saw him a second time. Um, a couple months later, we did the same thing. We kind of went through um, the deliverance process that he does and, you know, calling up, I don't know if calling up is the right word, but identifying demonic attachments and then having Jesus send them away or cast them away. Um, but one thing I noticed was after the second time, I had no more desire to watch pornography, which I did not expect that at all. And let me back up. So for many years, since we've been married, it would really bother me that I even have a desire to watch pornography, but yet my husband doesn't. So in, to my, in my mind, it's all backwards. And I hated that. And it wasn't an addiction, but I hated that the desire was there, like, you know, to even want to see it because it's disgusting. Yeah, I don't want that. Whatever it was, whatever attachment had been on there that we removed, it's been two years almost, and that's never been back. So that kind of was one really huge plus for me because I was relieved because that's not something I wanted or desired, but it was still there, if that makes sense. Yeah. So um, I explained to him some of the background. Um, so I didn't realize it until later that I was pretty groomed as a kid, because again, you go into that whole, if, if it's your upbringing, you think it's normal. And I started confiding in him that my mother would tell me 
so they know. Oh, sorry, it's my husband here. Um, <laughs> but he, I started telling him that, you know, as a child, I mean, as young as maybe seven, eight years old, my mom would discuss going to watch pornography films at my uh, grandparents' house. She would talk to me about the bestiality that were in these old uh, what's eight, the, millimeter. eight millimeter films. She would go into details about it. Um, she kept, she would say constantly that pornography is very necessary for marriage. So I grew up knowing that they would watch it and God, according to them, God was okay with it because as long as it's in the marriage and it's consensual and it makes your marriage sex life better, it's okay. So, you know, through, through seeing Dr. Dickinson and kind of putting pieces together, I realized that I had been so groomed as a child and, you know, I don't even know how to explain that one, but just the grooming, if that makes sense. Sure. There's yeah. a lot of grooming that goes on in ritual families. Yeah. Um, oh, one incident too. My sister told me, um, I had a surgery when I was 13. My sister told me later that um, when I was before surgery, when you're kind of starting to get that medicine to kind of make you a little out of it. She told me, cause she was there in the room that my mom started quizzing me. And it just was almost obsessed with making sure she kept asking me if I was a virgin, constantly asking me if I was a virgin, like in many different ways. And I never understood that until I guess the last six months or maybe a year thinking was that her way of seeing if I'm, if I'm aware of what happened, testing to see how aware I am of those memories. I, I don't have any other explanation why a mom would do that when you're 13 <laughs> and you're about to go under, except she was hyper-focused on me being a virgin. Yeah, I when she had told me that, just I mean, these stories that just kept coming up and up. I'm just yeah, I'm glad I have glasses on because otherwise my eyes would have fallen on my head many times, you know, seriously. It's just the fact that it's this upstanding Christian couple, her folks are going to, and so her mom is going to her father-in-law's house to watch bestiality. That is jacked up. I don't care who you are. I mean, even non-Christians would, you know, you, you, you tell them about the situation, leaving names out and their jaws drop open. Mm -hmm. And, you know, chairman of the elder board, you know, church lady, Sunday school teacher. And then you get a glimpse at Josephina's grandma, her mom's mom. Then you can start putting pieces together. And Josephina will probably be going into this, uh, a little um, down the road here in this talk here, but family history goes a long way. And that is one of the biggest uh, places to start and being able to put pieces together mm -hmm. for folks that are in this SRA thing, I think personally. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I think it's really powerful that you're with us today, Joe, because we talk to survivors and they try to put the pieces together, but because you walked with her and you were helping her with those pieces saying, this isn't normal. Hey, that's not what a normal Christian family really would do is very helpful for, I think our listeners to hear the full picture of, okay, they weren't just the perfect Christian family. Oops. Now I have all these things, right? It's, they were the perfect looking Christian family with a lot of issues that I couldn't put together. But now that we got the SRA component, we can go back and look at them and put them together. But those components were already there. Because I think some people, the people that are SRA cult people that are propagating false memory syndrome or come on, we debunked SRA in the 80s, all that sort of thing. They're trying to say, 
oh, everything was perfect. And now you're saying, oh, I've got these memories that come out of the blue. And, and it really it doesn't work that way. There really are all those pieces that didn't make sense. But then you add the SRA component to it. And now, oh, now we get a really good picture. It makes sense. Yeah. So you yeah. add that brings a lot to Josephina's story. Yeah, yeah, because when you're involved in it and you have that upbringing, you have no idea that, that these things are abnormal. You know something's not right, but you don't, you know, there was an example of um, my mother got very mad at me. I was a teenager and we started talking about just, you know, weddings with bachelor parties and strippers. And I said, it is not right for a person to be getting married to be going to see a stripper. I just was very adamant ever since I can remember. And she was so angry at me because that I would say something because of the pornography use, I, I would assume. And I finally said to her, if dad kissed another woman, you would I know you would call that cheating. And she agreed. And I said, so why is it okay to go look at someone naked? Like, you know, so there's those little things that I know the Lord put on my heart and thankfully he kept, you know, kind of prodding me for this is right. This is wrong. You know, just kind of keeping it in there somehow. So, um, so anyway, after I went and saw Dr. Dickinson that second time, you know, that pornography, that desire went away. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, but in August that so that same month, um, my daughter, my oldest walked into my room and the sunlight was hitting my legs just in the right way. And she happened to, she's like, mom, you have a lot of scars on your foot. And I'm like, what? So she started tracing it with her finger. And, you know, I've had a lot of surgeries in my life. And I know that the surgeons use mark sharp sharpies markers. So because they were so hard to see, I grabbed my phone, I hit record and I told her to go get a Sharpie so she could trace them. And I have my reaction live and she starts making, you know, you know, the marks and what ended up happening was I had, I, if I put my legs out straight, I have two perfect X's on my ankle, on my ankles in the exact same spot. And they're huge. They're what about three, three, four inches, like four, four and a half, yeah, inches. About four and a half inches, you know, each mark. Um, and they're, they're, they're symmetrical. So that's where it became all of a sudden I'm like, what is happening. Cause up until this point, you have Dr. Dickinson that mentioned that ritual component, but nothing was clicking for me because I don't have any flashbacks yet. I don't have, I just have some creepy stuff in the background, no known Freemasonry, nothing. So then it got kind of, I guess you could say real at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, at that same month I had a dream of being tortured and I won't go into it. It's just, it's not worth it to go into, but one of the components was, um, Dr. Dickinson had instructed me. He said, when you have a dream, ask Jesus to interpret it for you. And I've never done that before. So he did. And the beautiful part was he interpreted it just lickety split. And I didn't expect that because I'm not in the practice of asking or, you know, to growing up at an evangelical church, we're not exactly talking a lot about visions and dreams. And <laughs> it's not really the, the background I had, but um, so, well, I guess I can go into the dream a little bit. I don't know if you want to give a trigger warning. Um, I don't know how you do that. Yeah, that's fine. Trigger warning. Okay. Okay. So in the dream, I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a box and it's a wooden box and, um, I'm, they're trying to get me to do certain sex acts. And if I don't do them, which I never wanted to, I'm getting prodded with something like something electrical and I was getting zapped. So in my, um, so I have my husband, Joe here, 
in the dream, he comes along and he puts his hand on the, there's a circuit that's leading to this box and he puts his hand on it and he gets electrocuted, but it's almost like he's, um, I don't know the electrician term for it, negating kind of the absorbing, uh, absorbing the electrical shock. So I'm able to get away. So it, it's like, he came along, rescued me. He got hurt and, and injured in that. And so did I, but we were both able to walk away. So when I asked Jesus to interpret it for me, and this is a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, he said, you'll, you, you two will go through these things, but you're going to walk away happier, but you're going to be a little scarred. It's going to be rough, but he's here to help you walk through it. And you're going to walk away happier. He was, he was happier. So that was really cool. Wow. And it was a very, I see, cause I, I know I've known you for a little while now mm-hmm. and I see that Joe really does shoulder this with you just like Patrick has for me. Yeah. And you know, very few survivors have that. That's a huge, huge blessing. Wow. Mm. So, so that happened. A lot of things happened in August of 2019. Um, got the scars. I got the, uh, the dream. Um, the following month though, my oldest who was 12 at the time, she started having certain flashes just popped in her mind and I wasn't prepared for that. Um, and then she went over to a dry erase board and drew out this huge, I mean, my oldest is not artistic. It's my youngest one. Who's more artistic. My oldest is not, but she went extremely detailed and drew out what I now know to be, I did not know for a good, I don't know, four or five months. It took me a while to figure out, but she drew a Freemason checkerboard floor. She drew a chair. She drew a table. She drew, um, something that had MM on the top of it. She drew music notes on the side. I mean, she went really detailed in this and I'm, you know, I'm looking at this going, what do I do with this? I don't know what this means. As far as I know, at this point, nobody in my family is a Freemason. I knew enough to know there could be a Freemason component to this, but I have no idea what the MM means. So I start looking it up and I eventually found out um, that the MM means master Mason, that this was a temple where they do their rituals. Um, so at this point I'm going, how in the world does she know all this without having known this? So I started explaining to her that it was, you know, it's a Freemason temple. Then she had a flash. I think it was within a, a few weeks, more weeks of something. And she started Googling Freemason. And I don't even know what she typed in. She'll have to maybe down the road, come in and do a podcast. But, um, she came into my room and said, mom, this is what I saw but she had to take two different pictures. She did, she did the compass that the Freemasons use. That's that famous symbol that you see in all their buildings. But she, most of the time it has a G in the middle of it, but that's not what she saw in her flesh. She saw a goat head in the middle of this compass. So she on her own took, you know, went to the internet, found a picture of a goat head and, and cut and, you know, cut it out and, and taped it on so she could show me what she had flashed. Wow. So that was really wild. And again, I have no known Freemason component at this point. <laughs> so it was pretty wild. Um, did you she, realize at that point that she was also? Um, I, I probably did, but I don't know if I wanted to admit it at that point yet. Um, but it was within a, another month of that or so it was still all in fall of 2019 where she had a couple flashbacks of, um, my parents, um, doing certain things with her. I don't know if it's like what happened with me, but with her, she'd recall a certain memory of my dad walking in, 
But as she was telling it, as soon as he walked up to the side of the bed, like me, I just, it just hit me. Um, her memory would shut off and she'd start hyperventilating. And then she had one other flashback in that same time period of my mother, this time doing something to her sister, my youngest, but we could never get to the point of, um, knowing exactly what happened because her, she'd start hyperventilating and it would just, so at this point I, um, opened up a police report because I, again, I don't know the Freemason component. So I opened up a police report. Um, the de detective was very nice, but I was very clear. I said, I am not putting her them through something when I really have nothing to go on. So anyway, I told the detective, I'm not going to open up a police report without, um, evidence of what happened. And I explained, you know, her kind of shutting down and he was respectful, but he kind of wanted to pursue it because he said they've gone on a lot less. And it must've been a God thing where I said, absolutely not. I'm not going to be doing that to them. Um, I just didn't know enough and I didn't feel comfortable. So there's still an open police report, which to me, in my mind, I'm like, it's kind of a big plus in case they ever try to do certain things. You know, it's almost like I've got this over you. <laughs> don't, don't, uh, push it with me. You know, did the police officer believe the SRA element of what you were telling him at this point? I didn't have an SRA, um, element for your because girl? for the girls yet at this point, it was, there was no SRA element. It was just, she had the, I didn't mention the, the Freemason, like, you know, the drawings, all I mentioned was the two flashes. Okay. It was enough to know that something had happened and the detective said that was enough to go on. But I just, I was so uncomfortable with it. I, the thought of dragging them through the court system, you know, he said, she said, you know, my parents had already contacted before I even cut them out. It was about a month before I cut them out. They started telling other family members I was, I had gone crazy, which was weird because I still they were going to take the kids on a vacation. We still were in contact with them. And I found out later that they were going to family members and telling them I had gone crazy. It's almost like they were prompted by something to start doing that. And I don't know what, because it didn't make well, sense. You had cut out your sister. And you're right. That's true. So but, they probably realized that there was a progression that was starting to happen that you were starting to deal with. That's true. Oh, they were hedging their bets. They were, they always go to, you're the crazy one. Yeah. And I had to kind of laugh because I said, well, if I'm the crazy one, so is my brother because my other brother cut them out long time ago because of the toxicity, the craziness. Um, yeah. And he's the one that says he has no memories of his childhood either. Um, you know, what's interesting and I'll get into it later. Well, maybe I'll say now real quick while I'm thinking of it. Um, uh, about a year ago, I read a book called hell minus one. And, um, I think it was right before I read your book. Um, and I was looking to see if anything resonated. Um, I wasn't putting Freemason components together at the time, but I was kind of starting to see Freemason connections and I'm looking to see if I, if, if anything's resonating and one thing stood out, she mentioned the author mentioned in the book, um, her parents always had a cough syrup bottle in the house and they used it to drug her. And I immediately, as soon as I saw that, I immediately knew that's why I had no memories. I, it was just one of those click light bulb moments because my parents always had a, um, I call it the empty Walgreens bottle, the old, you know, big red cough syrup bottles. You get the prescription medicine and no, there was no label on it. And it was always half full and it was always present. 
And my daughter would later tell me that she had the same experience with a, another type of bottle without a label in my parents' house when she was, you know, still staying there. So they continued that same pattern. Wow. So when your daughter stayed with your parents, I assume you were not there with them at this time. Most of the time. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Like they would go and stay with them for X amount of days at a time. They had a lot of, yep. They had a lot of access to them. Um, they're a couple hours away and I thought they were being the great, you know, they're being awesome grandparents and they want to take the girls, you know, every couple months for a week at a time. So yeah, I'll get into that too. That was very interesting. Um, this was interesting. Um, I wrote this down because of the Freemason component that I now realize. Um, one thing that comforted me, I'm jumping a little bit, but I want to make sure I, um, I mention this. Um, when I realized that there was the Freemason component and that I would never get justice here on this earth, um, the passage in Revelation, it, I don't know how it, God must have brought it to me because I read in, and I don't know what chapter it is, but when the tribulation saints are um, asking Jesus, how long, O Lord, until you avenge us? It hit me. I thought, and here's the verse. I wrote it out. It says, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. And I thought, my word, here in heaven, there's no sin, right? There's no sin. And these people are crying out for vengeance. So it was really a, a great moment for me to realize my need for to see justice was a godly need. It was a godly desire. Um, so I didn't need to feel guilty about being angry at the injustice, but also I could rest and go, God's got this covered because I will never see justice on this earth. It won't be perfect. It's not even close to perfect. Right. So I wanted to say that real quick. Um, Can I so I'm gonna, here real quick? Oh, yeah. During this time where you're, you know, starting to hear things from your daughters, Joe, when your daughters were having these memories, your wife's remembering some things, it's very uncertain. How are you handling this? Oh, boy. Um, at first, you're, you're in disbelief, just honestly, you know. You, you, you look at her parents and you're like, yeah, they're, they're messed up, but this is beyond messed up, this whole thing. And then it's like, you try to start going down the road of reconciling what's, what the Lord's bringing out to what you've seen and what you know. And then again, you, you have to you have to look at this with an open mind because, and I'm I'm sure you have listeners that don't identify as Christian or don't identify as being um, in a, in a walk with Jesus, a personal one-on-one relationship with him. And I pray as I'm sure you do as well. And the many um, believers that are SRA victims, I, I pray with everything in me that they come to know Jesus as their savior, because this is the only way that they're going to find true peace. They're going to find true healing. It's the only way that some of this is going to make sense and not everything is. And Josephina will, will talk about this in a little bit. So I don't want to go too far down that road yet. And with the SRA abuse, it is pretty much a, a staple that they try to drag the 
incredible savior of the world, Jesus Christ, into their rituals and slander him and blaspheme him and make it so that people are going to be disgusted by him, that they're going to turn away. That is the devil's ploy. That's his trick. That's one of his famous tactics. And I am begging anyone listening that is either you know, shunned to Jesus or say, I want nothing to do with the God that's going to allow this to happen. The Jesus that they evoked is not Jesus. It's just another demon that's going to be cast into the pit of hell. That is all it is. And Josephine, again, she'll get down into this later on. But long story, a little longer here is that you need to come at this with an open mind. And then um, I have a very high uh, sense of justice. I, I want to see it served. I want to see it dealt out. I want a front row seat, quite honestly, to this. And many times um, I shared with you before our podcast today, I've read the Bible and that famous verse, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Well, I want to be the first one raising my hand and says, Lord, I'll do your work for you. Yeah. You know, and um, I, I want to be that Avenger. And that is not, that's not God's way for a Christian. Well, who knows? Maybe down the road when you're returning on the white horse with Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> right. And oh, at that point, God. yes, Probably let me, av- yes, I'll, I'll avenge with him and it'll be perfect godly justice. But I know right here and now, it would not be good for them. And it wouldn't be good for me if I always be able to be the one that dealt that out, but you've got to, and this is where, where do you go for absolute truth comes in? Is the Bible truly God's word? Is it infallible? Because all the promises in there are true and it's not our timeline. It's God's and faith isn't faith until it's all you're hanging on to. And when you're looking at a picture that your daughter draws of her chained on a table with tears coming down her face and a, and a, and a sad face on there. You want blood. You want these abusers blood and it's real. And I've told my wife, if they were, if I, if I saw them right now in the state I'm in, they would cease to exist and I would be fine with it. And whatever sentence I was handed, I would serve it with honor And then again, at the end of the day, that's not God's way. That's not what he would want me to do. And he's, and this is where relationship with Jesus is so important because if you don't have this, you're going to go down a dark, dark road that you will not come back from. You can, it's the grace of God that allows many things. And if you're, if the Holy Spirit's not in you to light your path and they guide you on the path, if you're not putting on that full armor of God in Ephesians six and suiting up every day, you're going to be destroyed. And the Bible says, put on the full armor of God, put on the entire, the complete armor of God. Don't leave any gaps because you you are going to be pelted day in and day out. And the enemy wants you to stay in a place that is in defeat and is in hopelessness. And that is not what Jesus says. He says, I've come to give you life and to give it to you in the full. So, so that no matter what happened to you, I've got you. <laughs> and when Jesus says in the Gospels, all that the Father has given me, I will not lose one. That's a promise. Yeah. 
that you can stake your very life and soul on. So quite frankly, it sucks to have to deal with this. But when you go to the Lord, he does restore you. <laughs> That's the promise there too. You're the first husband that we've had on here, the first spouse to talk. And I really am so proud of you for showing us your vulnerability through this to deal with your wife and both your daughters. I can't imagine the confusion with all this coming out, the anger with all this coming out. But I love how you went to God and how he's walked you through this because it's been like a year and a half you dealing with this now. Yeah. So it's still very new. A year and a half might sound a lot to a listener, but it's really not that long for survivors going through this. And right. there's so much information in those first years coming at you right and left and then having it going through your daughters as well. Yeah, it was many nights. Yep, many nights trying to, bef you know, before you can even piece everything together. Um, I wrote down here um, around that same time in the fall of 2019, I started seeing marks all over the girls with cuts. Um, and I was going to get to that uh, component with my parents having them. And you're sitting there looking at the X's on your ankles you're seeing cuts all over your daughters that you can't explain. They're not obvious at all. I mean, I know my daughter's skinned knees and I know, you know, as a mom, you know, um, and at my oldest, I think I counted over 17 or 18 and at my youngest, um, at, at least 11 or 12, Are you uh, no, just random cuts, like random. Um, I had a friend later tell me who looked at the pictures. He was in the military and he said, that's a scalpel they used. Um, it's oh, very wow. specific. Yeah. yeah. He was able to, shed a little bit more light on it. Um, yeah. So it's very interesting. Um, but you know, when I'm starting to see the X's and then, you know, she starts to draw a Freemason temple out and then she starts, uh, I start, I was putting her to bed one night, my oldest, and she happened to have her arm raised. And I saw a mark under her arm, a scar. I mean, who has a scar in their armpit? That's not some, you know, unless you're shaving, which she wasn't at the time. Um, I looked on the other side and they were, she had two that were symmetrical and there was three on each side. There were three on the left armpit, three on the right. So I checked my other daughter and sure shooting. She had the exact same marks and I put the pictures wow. up and they're symmetrical. So at this point I'm going, Ooh, something is really, really wrong. I can't put my fingers on all this because I still don't have the pieces. It was very, very confusing because at this point I have zero memories or flashes of my uh, father abusing me. I did eventually get that, but, um, yeah, it just, it was very difficult. Um, I began talking to Rebecca Davis in the fall of 2019. And for those who have never heard of her, she's an author and she, um, is a spiritual coach. Um, she uses a prayer ministry called, um, the Emmanuel approach or the Emmanuel method. Maybe that's what they call it. Um, helps people cope with severe trauma. Um, she explains how Jesus is, has always been there. And we try to, you know, ask him to show himself to where he was in those memories and to help rescue the kid that was kind of caught up in that abuse. And, um, yeah, which I still am trying to wrap my mind around that. I'm getting a little bit better of a grasp on that. Um, I had to overcome stigmas of that, just the old term to the new term. You know, I just, it, it took a lot for me to, I'm, I'm getting to the place where I'm okay with that, but it's still, it's, it's hard, you know? Um, yeah. But anyway, she um, had mentioned the manual method. She took me through it and I'll get into that in a little bit. 
Um, and then she explained there, there was a man who wrote a book and his name escapes me, but the name of the book is called Touched by the Master. And I am so glad and heal. So um, we went through uh, some of the, we had some sessions, maybe two. Um, and then, and then I think, uh, <laughs> I think she, um, you know, kind of got busy. I don't, there was one day where she couldn't make it and I was waiting for her and I ended up by the grace of God, being able to do a session myself. And what was interesting is, um, there's an older couple at our church, uh, very wise, very godly. Um, they'd heard of the Emmanuel approach and their daughter uses it. Um, and she told me, she goes, you know, what's interesting. <clears throat> so she said, you know, what's interesting is you were able to do it on your own. In her experience, most people who use the manual approach uh, or manual method, um, they have to have someone there praying with them and kind of helping them through it. So she said, you know, and it was really cool to hear something like that because that's a God thing. She said, it's really neat that you're able, you're able to still do this on your own. So I thought, well, that was kind of cool to, you know, to get that reassurance. Um, but Rebecca said something that has stuck with me. And if I can say to anyone listening, um, this was key. And this is still key. Jesus is always gentle, whereas Satan is not. Um, she had explained to me that if memories start rushing in all of a sudden, um, I need to rebuke. And if anyone doesn't know what rebuke means, it uh, means you're telling the demons with the authority of Jesus Christ that they're not allowed to do this and they have to leave. So it's basically casting them away. Um, I, there was a few times where I started having flashes, multiple, like, if I can describe it, thousands of images in my head, just all of a sudden pop up. And because she had told me that Jesus was gentle, I knew it wasn't from him. So right away, I rebuke and they would go away. This has happened multiple times, probably more than probably two, you know, at least 10 times. Um, so it was really, really key for me to be told that. So then I was aware that if flashes start coming on so suddenly, it's not from, it's not from Jesus. There's no way because he doesn't do that. So that was, that was crucial for me. Um, so a lot of sleepless nights. Now we're into the winter now of 2020, a lot of sleepless nights. Um, I was able to finally identify because for a long time, I felt very guilty of, um, how in the world as a mom, could I have not known that all these scars were on my daughters? So, you know, I talked to a counselor about that and they said, that's false guilt. You know, you and they explained, you know, you can't blame yourself for things you didn't know. Um, so I was able to finally get through that, but here you still have these puzzle pieces of why do they have so many scars? Why do I have the scars? There's not a whole lot of puzzle pieces still yet coming together, but it would come together very quickly. Um, so in February or March of 2020, um, I had a family member, I was doing certain things with ancestry.com and, um, I had done something with ancestry.com in 2017 and the Lord brought to my mind, I remember seeing a copy of an obituary with a, a great grandmother where it mentioned a lodge name. And I thought, well, that's really strange. It says lodge, like starting to learn about Freemasonry and you, they use the term lodge. So I um, asked a family member about some family history and that's when things kind of opened up. Um, he explained how my paternal grandmother was very, very heavily involved in a ton of new age stuff. Um, she had lost her daughter. So that would be my aunt when she was very young. And in order to connect with her daughter, she started going and doing seances. 
Then she started getting into um, what's a, a man named Edgar Case, I think is how you say it. He's called the Sleeping Prophet. Found out about him. She would go to see um, conferences with a well-known Midwest local psychic who was always writing newspaper articles in a certain Gene Dixon. Yeah, certain uh, paper, and um, she would have uh, Anton Lavey come and speak also. So my grandmother was going to see all these people that were just big time trouble. And he also um, mentioned that there was the name of a church. I won't say the name of the church, but there was a name of a church that they joined that did traveling seances. Wow. And I'm reading this email going, whoa. Right. So that was in February or March of 2020. Well, a month later, something really strange happened. This is like now where we get into Dr. Phil almost. Um, I had a cousin contact me who I didn't even know existed. Um, he put together a huge puzzle piece. Um, I had done a 23 and me DNA thing and that was a while ago. And he, we had come up with second cousins and he contacted me through Facebook. And at first I'm thinking this is a scammer or, you know, this is kind of strange, but I, you know, I, I, I asked him a lot of questions. I logged into my account. Sure enough, his name was there. So we talked, turns out my grandmother who was into all the seances and all that stuff, she had talked to my aunt into um, giving up this child and lying to everybody saying that the baby died in childbirth. And I said, okay, wow. So talked to him for a while. And then I got him in contact with the cousins I actually knew existed. <laughs> the ones that I knew my aunt had had. Um, turns out they had the same name. Like the adopted name was uh, Mike. And then my, the cousin I knew about his name was Mike. So there's two brothers with the same name. Whoa, so she like their brothers. Some... Crazy. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So um I'm talking to now, I'm talking to the cousin I know about, the one who um I've known he's 17 years older than me. So it's really neat to talk to him. I hadn't talked to him in I mean, since I was a, a kid. I mean, you know, they live far away. I wasn't close to him, but you know, he verified that, you know, my aunt had mentioned when he was a teenager that there is a son out there, a brother that you don't know you have, you can go out, you know, try to reach out to him when he, the, when this kid turns 18, the one I gave up for adoption, but told everybody died in childbirth. My grandmother was the one that talked my aunt into doing that crazy story. It, it, there's so much more to that story, but in talking to the cousin I knew about whose name was Mike, um, we began talking about the family, just catching up. And he started mentioning how he would always get a little bit of a creepy feeling being over at my grandparents' house. And my grandmother died when I was four. So I didn't, I don't have any memories of her, but obviously he's in his twenties. So he remembered he went, you know, we're, so we're reminiscing and you know, he's telling me stories about my father, just different things. Then he happens to mention all the, the books, the new age books and the psychic and all that stuff. Well, then he drops the bombshell on me, did not know. He said, yeah, and, and um, I, I, I knew my grandmother had been married before my grandfather. What I didn't know was he was a 33rd degree Freemason. Wow. It, it, I, I, I can't even, only God, right, could put together a person from that I didn't even know about to connect me to an, a cousin I did know about who could piece that together. It was just, I still, even as I'm telling that, it's just, it's incredible. I only God. So, um, so you have this cousin who informs me of this and 
um, around the same time of this, this time frame, I had got connected. Um, I was curious about Freemasonry. So I went on YouTube and I looked up a video. I, I don't even know what I typed in, but I came across a real uh, amazing testimony by a man named Victor Ramos. So if anyone's listening, I asked him if it was okay to mention his name. And he said that was fine. Um, so look, you can look up Victor Ramos and he explains like the overview of Freemasonry. And at the end of his testimony and how he got out, he put his cell number and his email address in there. So I contacted him. This was around like March or April. This is kind of around the same time frame. I'm putting puzzle pieces together. And I explained, you know, the, the scars. That's where I was puzzled. Like all these, the, the scar, so many scars. And he said, you are the third person that has contacted me just today with the same story. Three people. I was the third person where their kids had all these unknown scar marks. And he explained what they meant, what they do in the rituals. And I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit, but what he explained was anytime, you know, a person wants some kind of a power or they need something, they go to the demons for that power. So they'll, but the demons require blood. So and it's the younger, the better. So you can do, and he said, there's thousands of these rituals. It's not just one or two. So you could get a cut here to do a certain thing. And he, so he was putting those pieces together for me. So it was really nice to have that. And then, you know, we befriended him. Um, he was able to explain some more things later. Um, so I'm going to fast forward a little bit. So a few months later, you know, I'm no, actually, I'm sorry. I'm going to back up around the same time. So, so much happened within about three months span. I had my first flashback. I was reading your book, Lisa. So don't feel guilty. This is not your fault. This was a good thing. Uh, okay. <laughs> jump started the healing. <laughs> yeah. Jump started the healing. That's true. That's very true. That's yeah. In a weird way. You're right. Yeah. Um, so I bought your book and I read it. I finished reading it. And that night, you know, I was awake and I woke him up and I was just sobbing because all of a sudden I had a real memory of when I was 10 years old, my father doing not nice things to me. And it was very, very traumatic, just horrible. So it was finally like, <sighs> relief is not the word, but almost validation that, okay, we're kind of going somewhere. We have proof. Like I finally, and I don't know how to explain it, but I have all the physical evidence and clues, but I don't have my memories to match it. So it was finally in a very odd way, validating to have that experience in a we had it very backwards uh, from a lot of people yeah of people get the flashbacks and then they start putting it together with scars and yeah you know, components of fear freemasonry and family craziness yeah very interesting how god worked it with you yeah absolutely all the people and at the same time i'm um with the ancestry i'm gonna go back so I had done, I mentioned 23 of me with the DNA, but um, I had also looked at ancestry.com and I remembered that lodge component when I was going through, um, I was able to trace family back to like the 1600s. And one of the lines that I could uh, trace with my great grandmother with this obituary where she died after she got home from a lodge meeting, which is really strange, but um, I went back and followed that line and I was able to look at clips. It was almost like not newspaper clips, but old flyers. And I could see grandparents that belonged to what's called order of the um, order of the red man. So it was tied to the Boston tea party. It was uh, somehow if I'm getting the history part, right. You know, the, the white man was a, uh, you know, they dressed up as the Indians, but then they took it a step further where they started having lodge meetings and they would renounce their, 
um, I don't know if whiteness is the right word, but they wanted to become full-blooded Indian. So they had this, you can look it up online, Order of the, the Red Man. So when I was able to tie it to my grandmother with this Pocahontas Lodge, and you see some of the things that they do in the ritual, they do in their pledging. They're basically saying, I'm not going to be white anymore. I'm going to be an Indian. So it's just some kind of, you know, just a little thing to throw out there. Um, so you, you had touched on it. So my parents had a lot of access to the girls. Um, later on, I would realize that my father blew up about not being able to take my kids on vacation for a week long, it was going to be somewhere, um, that normally older people go to, if that gives you a clue, uh, in the Midwest. And we thought about it later and went, Oh my gosh, what were they going to do to them? You know, it, it, the way he responded mm -hmm. with it, he just, the response was so crazy that I now look back and go, what were they going to do yeah. to the girls? You know, my oldest has, um, since had some flashes of being in, um, there's a trigger warning, um, being in, uh, almost like, I guess a bunker, you know, you know, chained on the table and, um, trying to escape, you know, other kids being there. She has flashes though. So, um, it's not, not super graphic for her, but I mean, I guess that's harsh enough if you, sure. yeah. Yeah. So, um, then this happened. So this was validating, um, in the spring of 2020. So I had my flashback talked to Victor, talked to my cousin who was putting the Freemason component together. And suddenly I have a vision and I have never had a vision before. I have, I don't think I really had, well, I had, I've had one since, but, um, I was laying in bed and I'm not sleeping. And all of a sudden Jesus was taking me somewhere. And the only way I can describe it is I guess John was taken in the spirit because here I am, I'm still in my bed, but I'm being taken somewhere. And I realized that he's taking me to a, um, a foresty area. It's cold. It's winter time, not winter time. It's fall. Cause I could see the colors on the leaves. I don't know how I could see the colors because it was nighttime, but I could tell it was cold and I could see the colors and Jesus is leading me and I'm following him. And we're walking up to, it looked like a huge cliff area in the background where it was like a rock wall and there was a big orange glow. And my first thought was, uh oh. <laughs> Uh, what am I about to be shown here is, you know, I'm already starting to get visions in my head of, you know, men in robes, you know, black robes, and I'm starting to assume what I'm going to see. And I, what I, what he showed me was not at all what I assumed. Um, so suddenly, you know, I see my mom as a maybe 30 some year old lady. I walk up to her. She, she's not, obviously this is a vision. So she's not seeing me at my age of 42, but I walk up to her. And I'm face to face with her and she's staring behind me. So I turn around and I look at, to see what she's looking at. And there I am as a baby on a, a rock type thing, a structure. And I instantly knew the date. It's only a God thing. I knew it was October 31st of 78. It just that that knowledge was put in my mind. I knew exactly where it was. I knew how old I was, which was interesting because Dr. Dickinson a year earlier said I was used in a ritual as a baby. And this was six days before my one-year birthday. So that kind of floored me that, you know, looking back, I, wow, what a, what a piece of information. But anyway, in this vision, I watched Jesus, you know, walk up to me. Now, meanwhile, I'm looking at women now in red robes, standing in a circle. That one floored me. 
Because if I was writing the story, that's not the way it would have gone. <laughs> you know, because the typical is the men in the robes and not women in red robes. So um, Jesus picks me up and he takes me away. And we're, we walk to, finally, we go, all of a sudden, we just appear at a beach. It's sunny, warm. I'm standing there on the shore as a 42-year-old watching Jesus now with me as a baby walk into the water and he puts, he dunks me under as a baby picks, uh, you know, and lifts me back up. And then he walks over to me and he hands me as a baby to my adult self. And then she just disappears. Wow. So that was just, wow. I didn't understand at the time, but now I do that. That was very healing, but I didn't know at the time what that meant. So just very, very cool to see that. Um, do you think it was like an integration that God was doing? with you? It sounds like just the little that I know about disassociation integration, because he's done that quite a few times in my times with him since then, he's done that same type of thing. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So the next day, the next day I texted my friend, Victor Ramos, the one that, you know, did the YouTube video and I'm trying to make some sense of what I just saw. And he explained everything. He goes, oh, yeah, that's the order of the Eastern star. That's the female group. They were putting you on a rock altar. That's a, a bale altar. Um, and he went into details about what they do in those rituals. And I'm sitting there thinking, how in the world would I have known all that unless it was God showing me? Because I had no idea that there was a woman's arm of Freemasonry. No idea. Yeah. Crazy. Um so we went and saw him now in the summer of 2020, he was visiting where we went on vacation and, um, I showed him, you know, like in person, he came over and we were able to, you know, to visit. And I showed him the scars, the X's, and I showed him the lines in his eyes. Is it an exaggeration to say that popped out of his head? Mm -hmm. Because he said with those kinds of marks, <clears throat> he goes, you should have died. He goes, there is no explanation for you being alive, except God. Because he goes with that type and he, then he went into details explaining why. So it was another really cool, like moment where Jesus was there the whole time protecting just very cool. Another confirmation. So, yeah. Um, one time when I was doing, um, a, you know, I call them, it's the manual method, but I call it my Jesus sessions. That's more my personal thing where I, I go before him and I ask him to, you know, uh, help heal me and, you know, manifest himself into certain memories. And, um, I asked him at one point when I was having a flashback, I asked him why he let this happen. And I'm sure every survivor of any kind of abuse, no matter if it's SRA or, you know, a sexual abuse or any abuse has wondered. And he said it in the most perfect way. He said, you could never understand. And it was absolute perfection. And did you want to add something to that? I know you had mentioned you wanted to add something. Yeah. Um, all of us want to know why. We all want to know why did this happen? Jesus, why did you allow this to happen? You know, why do you allow bad things to happen to good people? What, how could you allow something horrific to happen to a boy or a girl, man, woman who was made in your image? It comes down to sin is what it comes down to. And it's, it's that generic answer to some and some are going to say, yeah, well, that's just a cop out. Well, I'm, that, that's, that's the honest answer. And that's, that wasn't God's plan. Mm -hmm. We were created to bring glory to God and to worship him. 
and Adam and Eve were deceived. And so that's been passed down to us and our human minds. We are not God. And God is very clear in his word that he is God. We are not. And he allows things to happen so that we have the realization that we can't do this life on our own. We weren't created to do this life on our own. In our own strength, we can do nothing. But Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we got to get to the root of who we are. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can understand the depths of how wicked it is? And we were born that way. We were born enemies of God. And when you, until you understand truly the gospel, then the other stuff starts fading away. It's not about why did this happen? It's not about having to go down this never ending rabbit hole and unpeeling the onion. That's going to be forever. Have another layer that that's not what God wants us to concentrate on. He wants us to experience his healing. He wants us to experience a relationship with him, a one-to-one relationship that we were born and created to have and to know life and not have to know the why, but to be able to trust in Jesus and say, you know what? You saved me from it. Mm-hmm. It's like if we're drowning in the sea and someone comes along and saves us, it's like us asking, well, why was I drowning in the sea? Mm-hmm. What, what, what would have happened if I would have stayed in there another five minutes? Is there some month, something else that would have come along to save me? Yeah. That, that, that's absurd. What's so interesting is Jesus is so gentle with uh, our questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's yeah. so patient and gentle. Um, Do you really want that answer? No. Right. I, you know what? Not, not anymore. I might've at that time, which was why I'm glad he said you could never understand because how in the world would I ever understand? Right. There's so many components to it. We could spend all our lives trying to figure it out. And it's, it's never going to, you know, no answer is ever going to suffice except Jesus showed me where he was and how he saved us. So that's good enough for me. (laughs) No. Um, so what's interesting is, um, I had another flashback a couple months after, you know, so this is last summer and I was five years old. Um, and, right away, I remembered what Rebecca had said. And, you know, I was sitting on a couch on vacation and what's odd, which probably not odd to abuse survivors, but a smell triggered it. And I stopped the memory right away. I got myself distracted real fast. And then I quickly prayed, you know, like Rebecca had taught me, um, asked, you know, uh, Jesus to manifest himself, show me where he was, show me himself. And it was really neat. He did the exact same thing where, um, he led me out five-year-old self at a beach. Most of the time it's always at a beach. So he must know that's my happy place. (laughs) So he did the same thing. And so, yeah, those different ages of integration, you know, and healing, I guess, from what I understand, that would, that would be it. Um, but wanted to point out a couple of things. So the Emmanuel method, I was kind of concerned with how do I do this with the girls? They're so young. And, um, Rebecca gave me some tips. So I began, you know, and it was awkward at first because you don't know how to lead someone else through it, especially when it's your own kids. But, um, in the first few times, my youngest, I was very afraid of Jesus. Because in the rituals, they have false Jesus that mm-hmm. is abusive. So, you know, just for the listeners, 
to differentiate, we, you know, it's true Lord Jesus, who is not person dressed up as Jesus in the ritual right. harming it. Yeah. Children. So I, I would call her and, and tell her about it. And she said that when that happens, it's a, an extreme form of trauma, you know, and she said it does happen. So she, she counseled and guided me through. And so I learned to be very patient and just let her, my youngest, um, just enjoy a memory, just start coming at it from, you know, what, what has God given us? That's good. Rebecca said, start focusing on good memories and just, you know, um, imagining you're playing it just eventually Jesus will show himself. So by the third time he did, and it was okay. She was able to see him clearly and she wasn't afraid. Um, my oldest has been a lot easier with that and I'm not sure why, but, um, with, with her, the way he shows himself, it's just, it, it blows my mind how individualized he is. And I guess I can't stress it enough, but um, it's always so different. I never, but it, it, I have to say this, when we use this method, I've never seen it be traumatic. I don't know if that's anyone else's experience out there, but with him, there, there've been a few times where like, if I'm in a memory or um, I'm in something you know, with Rebecca, there was a couple of times where we'd say, um, are you safe? Do you feel safe? You know, and I'd look around and if there was a dark presence, I would rebuke and the demons would have to leave. So she was, she would explain how sometimes with those demonic attachments, when your brain has been kind of, I don't know if a split is the right word, but how there's attachments have to get cast out because then they can try to cause trouble. But other than that, the memories You're and the possessed. things that it's right. attached. Right. It's an attachment. Yeah. That was, that was a big, it's very different. Right. That, that was my biggest hang up. I had to get that figured out in my head. I know I'm a born again believer. How is this even possible? It was just very, very difficult, but, um, with you there, cause you just, you feel the shame very much, very shameful. Like yeah. how, how do I even have demonic attachments when, you know, I'm a believer? It just, it took a little while. And I, I think the Christian world still wrestles with that today. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but, um, I wanted to mention, uh, just a couple months ago, my oldest was at youth group and she had, uh, she called us and said, when are you going to come pick me up? Which is unusual because she enjoys her time. And she had, um, she described as pain by her heart. So I took her to the emergency room. The doctor had said, you know, the, it was a, right above her heart. Um, he would push on the rib area and it was like in the muscular like rib area. So he had said it would be sore for a couple weeks. Um, but she woke up the next day fine. So I remembered what Rebecca had told me. Rebecca Davis had said, um, she mentioned the book, your body keeps the score and how you have to pay attention to what your body's doing because it's a clue. So I remember that the next day and I went, okay, we need to ask Jesus about this because something's off here. And he showed up in the coolest way um, very healing, but he showed her specifically, you know, he took her back into the, uh, the church where she feels safe. Um, but he showed her right away. He said the word altar triggered it because the youth pastor had been talking about Aaron and Moses and the whole altar story. And, um, she didn't stretch it in gym class because she wasn't even doing anything for gym time. So I just, I knew something. So anyway, Jesus showed her that. And then he showed her, he, he took her back as a six-year-old, took her back to a ritual. And this is not graphic because Jesus didn't show her anything graphic, which is really cool. So if you see me, if you hear me crying, it's usually because it's a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, 
but he showed her, he covered her eyes at one specific spot. And he, um, he said, this is not for you to see. So I was very grateful for that, but he did show her where someone was about to lift up a knife. Like they had their knife up and was about to plunge a knife into her again. Was it like a mock thing? What, you know, would they have really done it? I don't know, but he showed her that there was a knife over her and he was going to plunge it into that area. And Jesus grabbed his arm and he stopped it. Wow. So that was really cool. And then he let her out. So you have her six-year-old self. Uh, you have her um, 14-year-old self watching all this. Takes her back to the community room and he, t- you know, touches her on the forehead, which was cool because she could actually feel that in the present while it was happening. That's something I've never experienced, like something like that. But she could feel him pushing on her head as a 14-year-old, but while watching him do it to her six-year-old self. And he said, I'm anointing you with the Holy spirit. And he, you know, took her, he, t- now for, for her, she, he took her six-year-old self away with him. Maybe that's how she felt, you know, the little six-year-old was safe for me. It was here. You're melting back into the 42-year-old self, but for her, Jesus took her away. She was safe. So uh-huh. just very unique and different, you know, <laughs> um, I, I like that about how God does our healing because mm-hmm everybody's going to react differently. Our experience mm. is going to be handled in our body very differently. Even if it's exactly the same as the person next to us, we're going to respond differently in God. You know how he leaves the 99 and goes after the one. I see that as healing, Like he will go after us individually and he will do exactly what we need to heal individually. And it's beautiful. Oh yeah. My last, uh, my last thing here to tell you when you just said beautiful, so that happened in uh, April. And then um, just a few weeks ago, and I know I told you this of this and I played it for you, but it's such a cool thing. Um, my husband was playing a um, YouTube video and there was a, there was a certain type of music. It sounded a little bit more like a horror slash music box sound. Um, and I walked into the room and all of a sudden my head hurt, like just one side. It's always been that way for certain things, just one side. And he turned it off and my head was fine. And I went, Ooh, uh Oh, that's a, that's a sign I need to pay attention to. So I asked him to play it again and don't say anything, but have the girls just walk in casually um, and see if they responded. And both of them did. And I knew that was a big clue. My youngest started crying and the oldest was just shook. So the next day I had time with Jesus and I asked him, I said, please show me what this was. Cause I figured by this time, I know it has to heal. Otherwise we're going to be triggered if we're out and, you know, just want to avoid that and try to get that healed up. So he, um, took me to, a, a again, I'm at a beach, but this is an, uh, my, one of my favorite spots, the Bahamas. And we're, um, I'm watching the dolphins. Now it, when we went to the Bahamas years ago, I would go by myself to watch the dolphins before the trainers were there. I'm not even sure I was supposed to be there. I don't know, but it was just me watching dolphins. And I love that time. So within just a few moments, I was there. And then Jesus was there. I could see him. And all of a sudden I have five different ages showing up and that's never happened before for me. So I didn't, I'm just going with it at this point. So I was um, 12, 10, six, three, and one. And, um, you know, he's bending down and he's like touching them on their forehead again, a forehead thing, which he did with my oldest. Um, and he picked up my one-year-old self and, you know, he's sitting on the beach, you know, with them. And he does a really cool thing where he has, he waves his hand and there's a rainbow. And he says, I always keep my promises. This represents my promise. And I, I don't break my promises. 
So it was really cool. I guess I just needed to see that and hear that. Yeah. So he turns around and he commands the dolphins to do a dolphin show. So here I have all these little ages watching a dolphin show and he knew it was time for, to take me somewhere. He had to show me something. So here I am, you know, he puts the one-year-old down on the sand with the other ages. And I'm thinking, I didn't say it out loud. I'm thinking, who's going to watch the one-year-old? <laughs> Maybe that's the mom and me. I'm like, uh oh, we're leaving. And yeah, he, right away he goes, don't worry. I got it. <laughs> so, okay. They're safe. So he takes me to a, um, a building and it's most likely a Freemason temple because of the floor being black and white. And, um, but it was dark. I didn't see anything traumatic. So there's no trigger warning here, but then all of a sudden, um, I look up and there's, um, windows real high up and just a huge bright light comes in. And then I can't remember if he said, I think he said, watch. Then all of a sudden I look at the floor and it's breaking up underneath. And all of a sudden a big, huge wooden cross comes through the floor. And it was, the message was, look at, I'm making all things new, but he did say, he said, I am healing you and you are being healed. So that was just cool, you know? And I, and I wrote down this too, but, um, the times of healing don't come with all the, show me this, show me what happened. Show me. I, I don't want to know the details. I've always prayed and said, I, if the memories have been kind of hidden from me for a while, I'd really prefer them to be hidden where I don't remember them unless there's a reason, unless I need to know. But, um, it was just really cool to see that and then realize he's only showing me just the amount I need to know just, and to show his power of overcoming them. Joe, can you tell me the healing you have seen in the last year and a half in Joseph? Oh boy. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, just a little uh, caveat too. I just want to let the listeners know what I was watching, what video I was watching, that that music was on. Oh. And it was, uh, it's fail army. It's about fails, epic fails. <laughs> you know, people doing stuff. And boating one. yeah, it was a boating fail. He wasn't so, watching anything horror. He just yeah, wanted to put that out there. I'm always very careful about what I watch. And then it was just very out of place for this music to be in. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so, and um, Healing. as soon yeah. as soon as um, that music came on and she, and Josie said that her head was hurting. I rebuked and stopped the music and it went away. Um, and if we want to just touch real quick down at the end of this or whatever about rebuking, just so your listeners know a little bit more about that too, um, that would, that might be a good thing. So um, I'll let you make the call on that there, um, Lisa. But as far as the healing, um, Josie's been on meds for years years. Um, there's chronic illness. Um, Dr. Dickinson had said to her, as you get healed, as Jesus heals you throughout this process, God bless you. Mm -hmm. um, as he heals you throughout this process, you're probably going to notice some of your chronic pains going away. And that was a huge, huge um, sign of hope for me because um, she had shared with me from our very first time we ever met each other in person, we met online back in 2000 and AOL. And uh, we met at a restaurant and um, we were just two open books. It was, it was pretty cool. And she shared about her um, struggle with uh, chronic illness at the time. And, you know, she said, there's some people that aren't going to want to deal with that. And I didn't see it as a big deal. So 
um, there's been there's been very good times and there's been um, very challenging times, and it's been uh, it's been ongoing. Um, but to see her go from a dozen and a half plus medications all at the same time that she's been on down to none on a regular basis. I mean, that is nothing short of miraculous. And um, Jesus has been very, very gracious. And every time, you know, I've gone to many functions, many holiday things, get togethers by myself. And it is never good. It is never fun. Um, gone to church for months and months by myself. Not fun. And the Lord has really heard my heart on a lot of that. And um, his graciousness is not dependent on him doing the healing as we want to see. Um, and that's, you know, as, a, as someone who's been in ministry for years, <laughs> there's people that say that have, you know, you need to have more faith and then the healing will come. Well, that is such a load and that is nowhere promised in the scripture. And I'll show chapter and verse to any person, any time or day in love, <laughs> but say um, you're reading the wrong Bible and I'll show them where. Yeah. You're talking about, um, we've had friends say you don't have enough faith and that's why you're sick. It's not, it's not coming from a place of Jesus does heal. We know he does. Mm -hmm. It's coming from the ex other extreme of being told that you are sick because you don't have enough mm -hmm. faith. I just wanted to clarify that because yeah. Jesus does heal exactly a lot and he does want us to be healed. Does he promise it always? No, but he, no, that's what he does want where Satan wants to destroy. Right. Anyway. And I think there, I mean, and what's your definition of healing? Yeah. Is it just physical healing or is it spiritual healing? And spiritual hearing doesn't mean salvation. Mm -hmm. Salvation's one and done. That's it. Forever. You're guaranteed. Spiritual healing is a process. It's mm -hmm. along the lines of sanctification, I believe. It goes on throughout your life. And I think some of us have the proclivity in us that if we were 100% healthy from where we would have been, that all of a sudden we forget Jesus. Yeah. And we start believing the lie that we can live on our own strength. And Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. And he might know that we'll stray if we're in a place that um, physically 100%. And it's not an act of, um, it's not a disciplinary action to keep someone from being healed. But I think it's an act of grace, knowing that without the grace of God, we have nothing. Mm -hmm. So and what it's, spiritual healing have you seen in Josie? Wow. Um, her dependence, her dependence on Jesus just day to day and the joy in her. You're having joy. She, That's she's always been this happy go lucky person. And when the, and when the, the physical ailments have gotten to the point where she's bedridden for months and months on end, which has been, um, there's still a joy in her. And that's where Jesus says, I've come to give you life. What kind of life are you looking at? You know, yeah. what, what kind of life are you expecting? If you're expecting a life of the here and now and what we have out here, it's kind of, it's fleeting and it will let you down. That is, that, that's a promise. But 
to find your joy in the Lord when you can't get out of bed, that's only from God. Mm-hmm. And that's the, and that's the peace that passes understanding. I'm starting to now, um, finally go, okay, Jesus, what are we doing today? <laughs> okay, Jesus, what do you got? <laughs> so it's come, come a long way as far as my walk with him too, where, you know, I, I shudder to think of some, and I know what happens going the opposite way, you know, and I'm not saying things have always been easy, but I just, how do you get through this life without mm-hmm. Jesus? You know, the, the real one, Yeah. <laughs> let me add, um, I wanted to add to this too. Um, cause I skipped over it. Um, not only did I find out that my grandmother, um, had married, a, um, uh, a 33rd degree Freemason. And then I went back into the ancestry and found on, um, that one side on my mother's side was the, uh, the order of the red man and the, the Pocahontas lodge. But then I found out my grandfather, not like long time ago, another grandfather was involved. So I went from this reality two years ago of the zero Freemasonry to it's all over and they hit it so well. It just, it, it, it's, it's, it's mind blowing how, how much it was hidden and how, how you can fool so many people putting on airs of your spiritual and you're so you've got this awesome testimony, but what you're hiding at home and what you're doing to your kids, just, it's such a, you know, I, I liken it to, um, I don't know if anybody has seen the movie frequency. I, that's my favorite movie, uh, Jim Caviezel and Dennis Quaid. And in there, in the movie, it's about the 48 minute mark. I wrote it down. Um, it's a long story, but he changes the past to where all of a sudden he has two different sets of memories. So he's explained to his father, I remember what it was like to not have you there, but now I remember you being there. And he's explaining how he has two sets of memories. And I told him, I told you know my husband, I said, that's the way I feel right now. I've got the known childhood and now all the puzzle pieces of what reality was. So trying to put them together is it's interesting, you know, but it's getting easier every day. Now, some days are a lot harder than others, but overall, you know, it's easier. Um, a couple months ago, I came across a new scar that was different than the other ones. And in an odd way, I guess I'm glad it showed up because more confirmation that, you know, cause for a while, when you don't have the memories, you think you're going a little crazy, but you know, to see the marks. And then I found a new scar of a circle with a line going through it over my trachea, not exactly a scar. You can explain away by any other means. And it dawned on me that that's from that, that dream I had from August of uh, 2019, when I was being tortured, being prodded the electrical uh, thing, sorry, trigger warning. Um, but that explains the, the marking I went. So God did put those pieces together in place. It just took a little while. You know, I would have rather had the answers faster, but, um, in his time, right. He knows better than we do. <laughs> well, and if it came faster, how overwhelming would that be? Because he is gentle. Yeah. And that's why you know, we were talking before the podcast of our disagreements with God over timing, mm. but really he has our best interest in heart. And mm. you've been at this a year and a half where you have put things together. It took me probably 15 years to oh, get wow. to the understanding where you are. So really you're at this accelerated pace and the mm. level of healing that I see in you is just delightful to me. Wow. Wow. That means a lot to hear you say that. Cause no point. Yeah. You know, I don't have a frame of reference 
So you just don't know. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I, I jotted down some things and I don't know if you're um, anyone listening will resonate with this, but these are some things that were clues that I missed along the way. But now I look mm-hmm. back, I wanted to just jot down some things that I look back and go, well, those were big red flags. So, okay. yeah. So one of the things, um, so when people have surgery and I've had many surgeries, <laughs> I've never known anybody to be afraid of waking up from the anesthesia. I've always, you know, people don't like the recovery if it's weeks and months or the pain of the recovery or, you know, everything about surgery is not fun. But what I dreaded the most was waking up because there's that moment when you start waking up, but you can't get your bearings together and you feel extremely out of control because you're, you're awake, but you're not fully awake. So as soon as I start coming out of surgery, I get into a horrid panic because all of a sudden I can't get my bearings together. And I'm trying to wake myself up faster. Whereas I'm assuming normal people, they just lay there until they're awake. And here I am. Every time I've had surgery, I go into total panic mode. And that goes along with me. Um, I've never gotten drunk before because anytime I've had a drink, if I start to even get a pinch of fuzziness, there's a panic. It, 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 it sets in and I can only liken that back to being drugged and the abuse of not knowing what happened and just going into a total panic. Whereas I started looking back and saying, it's not normal. Like even with pain medicine, I would request from the doctor, please don't give me medicine that makes me high something that works. But if I get loopy, you're going to see me panicking. I mean, there were many times I'd go to the emergency room with migraines. Now I know part of the reason why to get migraines. Um, but there was one particular month where I went many times and that's a long story, but they would, they finally found a cocktail that would work for me. It was a pain medicine plus Benadryl. And I started dreading having to go in not to get the pain medicine, but as soon as they put the Benadryl in there, I would just start getting so, so loopy. And my husband started noticing I get really talkative and he kept saying, why don't you just lay there and relax and fall asleep? But I didn't like being out of it. It was just a total panic for me. So just some clues. I don't know if that's going to resonate with anybody, but, um, yeah. So I guess to, to wrap up too, I wrote down some key takeaways. Um, so I already mentioned, I already mentioned ever since this all has happened. And it might be because of just picking up clues along the way. I I saw someone start going down a dark road of having to make sure they knew everything about every detail to where they'd spend every waking moment of their life trying to figure out every aspect of abuse. And I saw that and I went, Oh, I don't think I want to know. So I prayed specifically for Jesus to not let me see those things. So I don't know if that will resonate. And I'm not saying that's what's right for everybody, but um, I don't know if that will help some people just to ask Jesus, you know what, shield, shield things from me, unless I really need to know. Cause I think that's what saved my sanity. Otherwise, you know, and then um, the whole key takeaway of Jesus being gentle, like that is that that one line that Rebecca said, where Jesus is gentle, Satan is not. And I know, Lisa, you talked in your book about, you know, the, the dichotomy with God and Satan. Just so true. And if people can keep that in the back of their mind of who's behind this, it wasn't Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't him. But to also recognize that when memories start flooding in to try to stop them and ask Jesus to stop the memories, because that is there, there were quite a few times where that happened and if I would have let it happen and not have been told to rebuke those away, cause that's demonic. I don't know what would have happened, honestly. 
you know, there was too many, I won't even tell you the details, but I would just see flashes of things that I knew something was wrong and I didn't know what to make of it. So I just rebuked and it would be okay. So did you want to um, explain about rebuking? I know you yeah, do you that. have, yeah, Joe, that would be great. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I'm not an, I'm not a like a leading expert on this, but uh, Josie and I have had some experience with spiritual warfare, especially um, being in ministry for so long. And um, just in short, the American church is so uh, um, unfortunately sheltered, I believe, and sometimes self-sheltering from spiritual warfare yes. that they take themselves out of the game yeah. and they become ineffective. And we see in Revelation what Jesus says about the churches that are purposely ineffective. Mm-hmm. Think of Laodicea. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're lukewarm. And I vomit you out of my mouth. And uh, the, the, the hot is to be healing. And the cold is to be refreshing and rejuvenating. Um, even some pastors get that wrong. They think that hot means that you're on fire for God. And cold means that you're you know, you've, you've shunned God, you've turned your back on it. That's not it at all. It, the whole thing with Laodicea, it, 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 go ahead and um, have your listeners hopefully uh, research that because there, there's a whole aqueduct system in Laodicea and they had hot water for healing. Hot water brings healing. Cold water brings rejuvenation, brings refreshment. And they weren't any of those. It was neither. Yeah, it was neither. neither. Mm-hmm. Lukewarm doesn't help anyone. Yeah. So, but um, with with rebuking and mentioned uh, Ephesians six, number one, you got to realize that you are in a war, whether you're a Christian or not. And if you are a Christian, you're going to most likely have more of a target on you. And if you are being used by Jesus, that means you're walking close with him and you're listening to him. You're letting the Holy spirit speak to you and guide you. Holy spirit is not mute. Um, some real quick. That was another key thing. Um, I don't know if this will resonate, but this one was a big one. You just said that when I talked to Rebecca, my background being evangelical and, you know, a lot of Baptists, same type of thing, other denominations. She said, we treat the Holy spirit as if he's mute, that he doesn't speak to us. And of course we use the Bible, God's word as the absolute authority. And she explained that you can hear from the Holy spirit and you can Mm -hmm. hear from Jesus in John 14, he promised he would show himself to us. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to add that in real quick because that was very key that Rebecca said, the Holy spirit isn't mute. We treat them that way too much. Yeah. yeah. And again, when, as I said earlier, I, I, my biggest prayer for your listeners is that if they don't know Jesus as their savior, that this would be the day of their salvation, that the, the demonic form of Jesus, that, um, they were, um, mocking. that they were mocking and that they were, uh, introduced to that is nothing more than a demon and, it's to steal, kill, and destroy any kind of um, response to invitation to Jesus. But here's the beautiful thing for your listeners. Again, the Holy Spirit's the one that's going to draw them to the right Jesus, to the Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Pastor Lutzer from Moody Church has used this analogy. And in my um, past messages, I've always used this whenever I give the gospel. And it's, we were born dead in our sins. So we are born in a grave, if you will. And Jesus Christ stands at the foot of the grave and calls us back to life. The picture of calling Lazarus out of the tomb. That is how you respond to the gospel. 
And that's how you respond to Jesus. And he's given us the authority to cast out demons. He's given us the authority to tell them where to go. And you tell them to go to hell and to the pit of hell. That is where they are to go or wherever Jesus Christ would have them go. And here's the important thing for your listeners too, is that they have to be under the authority of Jesus to use the authority of Jesus. Mm -hmm. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, you're just spouting words. And again, this is my plea for you, is that you would know the Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And when these memories come flooding back, that is nothing more than Satan wanting to keep you trapped, trapped in the personal hell that he's created for you. And that these demonic abusers have tried to create for you. And Jesus wants you out of there. He wants you to cry out to him and say, Jesus, please save me. So you connect that heart and that head knowledge. Demons have head knowledge of Jesus. They know who Jesus is. They've seen his power and they shudder and they tremble. And whenever demon, whenever a demon was uh, confronted by Jesus in the gospel, they're always crying out, what are you going to do to us? It's not the time for us to go down to the pit now, is it? Because they know what their destination is. And they have the head knowledge. They don't have the heart knowledge. And that is where Jesus and the Holy Spirit reside, is in the heart and the soul of the Christian. So, dear person out there, dear brother, dear sister, yet to know Jesus, respond to Jesus. Say, Jesus, you are the only one that can help me. You are the only one that can save me. And the way that you rebuke is, again, being under the authority and you grab the authority. And this isn't a magic phrase. It's just saying in the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of his shed blood, any demons, evil angels, Satan himself, I cast you off me and out of me. And I send you to the pit or wherever Jesus Christ would have you go. And you must go in the name of Jesus Christ. And sometimes they're going to, there's demons named Jesus, J-E-Z-U-S. And you have to say Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You make it very specific because there's demons out there that want to impersonate him that are made, that are named with just a little bit of a difference in the name of Jesus. Instead of the S, it's a Z. That's how sneaky these demons are and Satan is. And so when you rebuke, it's not a one and done. What does Jesus say? If you cast the squatters out of the house, if you leave it empty, they're going to bring seven back plus themselves. So this is something that I do every day. We do it multiple times here in the house. Both of our girls know how to rebuke. If you've been in a situation, when you come back in your house at night, you rebuke and you rebuke out loud. And when you're renouncing these sins of attachment mm -hmm. and these demons of attachment that have been unfortunately demonically put on you. You need to renounce these saying, you have no place here. You have no attachment to me because of the power of the shed blood of Jesus and the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And you must renounce that. And then those who are there say, yes, we agree with this. They must go. This is how you break these generational attachments. Mm -hmm. And um, again, I cannot say this enough, and I'll just end this um, with this, but dear brother or sister, yet to know Jesus listening to this. I plead with you, let this be the day of your salvation, knowing what true freedom is. It is there for the, it's Jesus offering this free gift to you and your life isn't going to be made perfect. He doesn't promise that, but what he promises is protection, safety, security, assurance of salvation. 
that can never be taken from you. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, and that seal cannot and will never be broken. Thank you, Joe. And I agree with you on that. Salvation is for all of us. And the whole purpose of the SRA is to keep us from ever wanting anything to do with Jesus or with God. Mm-hmm. And so I see coming to Jesus as an in-your-face to the devil is you threw everything you had at us and we're still coming. That's right. And I think that's beautiful. It's amazing that they can't stop. Mm -hmm. If Jesus is going to save you, doesn't matter what they do. Right. Joe, can I go back to you one more time? And can you speak to spouses of survivors in a word of encouragement? Yeah, man. Um, Believe it or not, you've been given a gift. You've been given a gift of the person who your spouse is. They are a gift. They're a gift from God to you. And what happened to them is not a gift in many ways. But the gift is being able to be rescued from the atrocity and the horrors by Jesus and to be able to be used to help guide others out of that demonic prison into the light of Jesus and help others find that way home. You've been placed there by God. Be faithful to your vows. It's going to be very tempting to not believe your spouse for chronic pain. I unfortunately many times doubted Josie and her ailments when she said she couldn't get out of bed. And then in my selfishness, I wanted to be the one to rest, but that, that wasn't what God had called me to do. We're to love each other rich and poor, sickness and in health, and to help each other through those weeds, because I'm sure they've done that for you in return. And believe your spouse and try not to have all the answers. Just be a listening ear. I've always been one to try to be a fix it. Okay, what what can we do? What can we do to, to fix it so you and I can get back to life as normal? It's not that easy. Find, find a kindred spirit somehow. And what I mean by that may not be someone who's gone through this. It might be someone who um, has the Holy Spirit inside them. The Holy Spirit is the counselor. The Holy Spirit is the teacher and the ultimate, the ultimate spirit guide. <laughs> it's the only true spirit guide. Right. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit will, will resound with truth from God's word. It'll be that instant red flag for you. It'll, um, it'll be that resounder of hope. It'll be that resounder of discernment so that you can discern the evil spirits from the great and only person that Jesus Christ truly is. Um, believe your spouse, be there for them, comfort them cry with them, and most importantly, pray for them and pray with them. And if they're not believers, pray for them. And if you don't know how to pray, the the Bible says when words fail us, the Holy Spirit takes up words 
and utters them to God the Father and to Jesus the Son on our behalf. So when words fail us, when the Holy Spirit's in you, he's already making supplication for you on behalf for you to God the Father and God the Son. So when words fail you, <laughs> it's okay. When all you can do is cry, Holy Spirit's making supplication for you on your behalf. Take joy in that. <laughs> and find a Bible-believing church, a Bible-preaching church, and um, there is a, I don't know, if, if, uh, if, you're a, if you're a husband and you're dealing with this, trying to help your, your wife through this, reach out to Lisa and she'll get in touch with us. Um, I'll be there for you. So um, yeah. that's what I've got right yeah. now. So wow. and, um, yeah. you can find me um, on Facebook uh, under Josephina Johnson. So if anyone had any specific questions, I know that God brought in so many people in our life. I didn't even ask, you know, for these things It just, you know, the secular world would say it just happened or it's just coincidence, which, you know, my story now, there's no way all those events happened you know, so many dominoes put in place, but I'm happy to answer questions. Um, my husband is too. So if anyone needs to get in contact mm -hmm. with us, you can always contact Lisa. We're happy to help in any way possible or point you to resources. But I know Lisa, you've been really, <laughs> it's amazing. I, I, I marvel at finding your book. I don't even remember how I found it. I just, it's on my Kindle now and I've read through it, I think within a night or two. So it's just another one of those God things, you know, I just happened to come across your book. <laughs> and I was so glad you reached out to me. It's, I, it's been an honor to know you. Yeah, you it really too. And to be able to walk with you a little bit on your journey. Oh yeah. Big time. It's nice to be able to text or call someone, you know, when you're breaking down crying, cause you find a new scar and you just want someone to go. I understand that's, that's really hard, you know, because as a survivor and you know, this, and we know this, it's extreme isolation. You know, you want to, you know, there's times where I'll have these times with Jesus and I want to like shout to the rooftops of how great he is, but who's going to understand all that. So I have to reach out to my survivor friends or Christian friends. But when those hard times, hard times come, I'm finally learning. There's a few safe people that are not SRA survivors, but they are very godly mm -hmm. people. So I can, you know, cry and be like, I just bought a scar and it's horrible. And I don't even know why I'm responding this way because I don't remember how it got there, <laughs> but it's horrible, you know? So just, yeah. And for them to see your pain, mm -hmm. acknowledge it where during the abuse, nobody did. Right. It's powerful. Wow. That's, well, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. You're right. Validation and yeah, you're right. Hmm. Wow. Uh, Josie, what would you like to say to survivors? I don't know if there's anything else to add except those key takeaways I mentioned. Um, if you don't have Jesus to lean on, I don't know how anyone can make it through. So if anyone's listening who doesn't, you know, my husband said it best, you know, to cry out to him and ask him to save you so he can start healing you because I don't, you know, we tried the secular, not secular. She was a Christian counselor for a little bit, but I don't know. And Lisa, you know, but I just, 
there's such few counselors that can even walk you through it. And then after doing the manual approach or method, whatever it's technically called, there's no other way to heal except let Jesus heal you. I don't, I can't, now I go, I don't know if I'd go pay someone for a few years to sit on a couch and relive that because they can't bring that healing. You know, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I don't want to give that wrong impression that it's wrong to go talk to someone. Um, but just, we found that Jesus did it much better, if that makes sense. So again, I don't want to discourage anyone if they're going to a counselor, cause there's some really good ones out there. Um, but I just didn't have that experience with the healing that I found with doing the manual method, talking to Rebecca, you know, she's a trauma counselor, being able to go about it that way versus going about it the other way. If that makes sense. Yes. And what would you both like to say to society? Believe people. We're already at the point where we think we're sometimes we question our own sanity. So we don't need people to question it for us. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I do you have anything to add? I think you just need to be careful where you get your news and where you get your information from. Mm. Um, again, having Jesus as your savior, the Holy Spirit's going to be the ultimate discernment for you. And you'll be able to sift through what's true and what's not. But um, with uh, society, um, there are some good people out there. And I know that trust is extremely hard. Be very careful who you reach out to in society. Um, there are a lot of uh, churches out there that um, have uh, Freemasons running them. Mm, I didn't even, yeah, I forgot to touch And on that. unfortunately, um, if mm. you, uh, I, I would encourage, and I'm going to pass this, these names along to you folks. The first one is Billy Crone. He's a mm. pastor out of Henderson, Nevada. He's a former Satanist. Mm. And he is one of the most uh, enjoyable, most funny, uh, now down to earth pastors and people you will ever see and listen to. And he looks, he reminds me of Ned Flanders from the Simpsons, his mannerisms and how he says it, but he has just got overwhelming joy and he is a pun master, um, as well. He's just all kinds of things, but he's a former Satanist. And you look at that guy as a former Satanist, but what he does is he does 42, 50 plus week studies on Satanism. And he's, um, he's going to, it's he's so, going into Freemasonry. Yeah, he's here. going into Freemasonry and secret societies. Oh, I wanted to say real quick, <clears throat> this is one thing I learned by watching his, um, I love how, you know, how few churches there are that are willing to delve into that. He does because mm -hmm. he wants to teach Christians how to reach out to people who are dabbling in that crap. Um, but, um, it hit me watching the training on Satanism and he went into in depth here I am knowing that my own grandmother went and saw Anton LaVey and he's talking about Anton LaVey and it's horrible. And hearing him explain that, putting the pieces together and I'm losing my train of thought here. Um, the train's going by. <laughs> Can you pause it a second? <laughs> I, tell me when it's. Uh... So Billy Crone explained in his things when he talks about Satanism, he explained the rituals that they do. And it's very graphic. Um, and it's just interesting with how little memories I have of it, knowing that that's a possibility that I had you know, dealt, dealt with some of that. But the whole thing with the Freemasonry is I realized that all the things that Satanism and Satanists do, 
Freemasons do. So this, this morning I was talking to my husband and I said, it hit me. If you go into the rituals and what Freemasons really do, it's so all Freemasons are participating in Satanism, but not all Satanists are Freemasons, if that makes sense. So there'll be Satanists who are not involved in the society, but if you're a Freemason, those rituals, it all has a satanic component to it, whether it's low level or high level. And of course the higher levels up, the more that's required of you, just like Satan does, he's going to demand more and more and more. So if there's any Freemasons that happen to be listening, of course, Jesus can save you, but what you're doing is you're not even knowing because they're so sneaky when you get into the entry level. Cause we've known people that are Freemasons. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't even realize that they're participating in Satanism. And when you start understanding Satanism, you start understanding that Freemasonry at all levels of Satanism, if that makes sense. So if you're a Satanist, we know you might not be a Freemason, but if you're a Freemason, you are in Satanism full-blown. So that Billy Crone series explains that. And if there's any Freemasons that want to reach out to Victor Ramos or listen to the Billy Crone series on Satanism, it's very eye-opening to see the parallels between the rituals that Freemasons do and what Satanists do. So did you want to give another resource? Yeah. And just uh, Billy Crone, it's B-I-L-L-Y-C-R-O-N-E.com. And it's Get A Life Media. And it's, yeah, it's called getalifemedia.com. And he also has an app off of the uh, apps, um, Apple App Store and also Google. Um, and just to, to close again, um, not all churches, shocker, are, um, are Bible preaching, Bible believing, Jesus gospel-centered uh, churches. And mm-hmm. listening to Billy Crone will open your eyes. It'll give you the education you need in a way that's very palatable for you to, to hear and to accept um, and to receive. And um, they also explain how Satanists are their, their charge and their MO is to infiltrate churches. Mm. So not only are they doing it in secret, but they're doing it right out in the open. And the times that we're seeing now of just spiritual warfare, things getting worse and worse, the Bible predicts this. So we need to know who our enemy is, how they fight, the tactics, the tactics they use the armor we have provided to us, which is the ultimate superior, perfect armor and the weapon that we have, which is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I'll add the Billy Crone series. I think it was 20 some weeks with Satanism, um, which you think how in the world can you do that long of a series on Satanism? But it's, he probably could have done 20 more. And um, I like listening to him because he's not hyper-focused where some people can go down a dark road of Satan this, and then you start forgetting God's more powerful. You start forgetting Satan's just a created creature. Hello. He is no match for God. So he has that really awesome point of view where he balances. It's so healthy. So you might be learning about Satanism, but you're not feeling like when you walk away this, Oh, it's like, look how cool God is. Christians. This is what you need to know, but this is why, because you can reach out to these people that are dabbling in new age or looking at, you know, here's the warning sign. So Christian, your mission field, I'm not saying he's saying go into abuse areas. He, he never talked about, he never said he, you know, dabbled into that extreme stuff, but he started getting involved in reading the Anton LaVey, you know, Satan's Bible mm-hmm. or whatever it's called. Yeah. The satanic Bible is what it's called. Yeah. So he gives his own testimony too, but um, it's really cool because he's always about Christians don't need to fear this. This is our authority is in Christ. Amen. Not that we're going to be out going looking for it, but it was so encouraging for me to go, wait a minute, why am I fearing all the time? And, you know, this is silly. 
you know, it, it, you know, Jesus would never say I'm silly. I'm saying I'm silly. <laughs> Jesus has more mercy than uh, I have for myself. But yeah, just it was really neat to see that reinforced that look at these are the warning signs, but we don't have to be afraid. And it's been so helpful in our walk to be able to notice now signs for maybe dangerous people too. I'm starting to see everywhere I go. I'm, I'm like, either I'm noticing it more or it, and it was all, or it was just always there. I never took notice or it's increasing. I'm not sure which, but, um, it's interesting to have the tools now to be able to recognize those things. Yeah. It's kind of an empowerment sense. I don't like to use that word because it's not me. That's it's all about me, but it's Holy spirit empowerment. You're like, wait a minute. I really don't need to be sitting and cowering and scared. Well, God gives us the tools, right? He gives us discernment. He gives us the armor of God to mm. fight. So we're not defenseless kids in a ritual anymore. Yeah. Oh, we are an army of God with authority, with tools. We're wow. ready. Wow. That was really key that yeah. you just said that you're not Absolutely. that ch- child anymore. Who's helpless. Yeah. And I, I really fear for the people that did that. I, I, I tell my girls, I said, can you imagine with how close they are with Jesus? Can you imagine what's going to happen to them once they die? It's going to be horrific that a, a day is coming. So, it, you know, at least I told you about this and it kind of surprised me. I found out about a health scare for my father not long ago. And it was so strange because I had nothing but pent up anger towards them. And all of a sudden for a quick flash, I'm not saying it lasted a long time. I'll be honest, but for a quick moment, I felt very sorry for him. And I actually prayed for him something I never thought possible. So that might be one of those healing things to mention because I'm like, Lord, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't want to ever see him again. Obviously I'll never have anything to do with him. But, you know, at first I'm like, it's a Stockholm syndrome. And then I think Lisa, you said, no, that's healing. That's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, you, you're really seeing what's, you know, you got to pray for salvation, which sometimes I still go, oh. but then there's times where, you know, it's slowly coming <laughs> I pray for my family every day. You okay. Know, Good. At least I'm not the only one. Okay. <laughs> when God impresses it, I do, you know, because okay. ultimately I would love them to be right with God before they slip into eternity. That's what I want more than anything. Wow. You know, wow. But I can't say that every day I go in and pray for him either. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, you know, it's a line that we walk, try to find, but ultimately we want to do things the way God wants us to do it. And that's what we're reaching forward to. And that's what it's important to remember. And that's why having God is so important for a Christian for a SRA survivor to heal is these things that is, I mean, that's letting go of the hatred and the anger and that wanting of revenge, you know, in doing things God's way, mm-hmm. where means we may feel like we, well, we have the right to feel that way and we do, but it mm-hmm. brings bitterness and it brings very much turmoil inside where if we hand it over to God and do it God's way, pray for our enemies, right? Mm-hmm. It brings this joy inside. Yeah. You know? And then Amen. we're not stuck to them with all this anger. Cause when you're angry at somebody, you like to keep thinking about how angry you are at them. And then it's something else they said. And then it starts the snowball all over again. Oh yeah. I don't want to keep doing that. 
That's tiring. I get really tired. Yeah. Yeah. And as survivors, we already have physical ailments as it is, let alone having to keep that anger going. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's too much. Yeah, it is. Well, thank you both so much. I know this was a big deal because this is your first time publicly speaking about this, right? It is. Yeah. And with the, uh, you know, sometimes I don't know if listeners will wonder, but um, with the girls being so young and then with the Freemason component, I figured I better not use, you know, my real name, you know, just kind of, but I I did want to, as my husband kept encouraging me, I wanted to make sure people were aware um, because I can't be the only one out there um, Mm -hmm. with the Freemason component. I know there's the satanic ritual abuse for others, you know, and um, to be able to have people start piecing together. Well, wait a minute. My, my, my family were Freemasons. I have some weird things. W- what floored me was my brother telling me he had no memories yeah. that really substantiated that it wasn't just me. Cause at that point I went, it wasn't the concussion. Why am I thinking it's the concussion? And then when my husband said to me, do you have memories when you were like sleeping over at someone else's house or you, when you went to camp and I went, wait a second, I do. It was only at home. And you know, so that was, that was confirmation for us. And for mm-hmm. me, it was a big point. So I'm so glad you're able to put it together and I'm glad you're still a couple and you're still together. This did not break you up. Right. God bless you both for that. Thank you. Know, you. That shows a lot of work and Ugh, a lot yeah. of walking through the fire together. You know, that, that's powerful. And that's a testimony mm. another day to come in sometime and talk about how to stay a couple. Oh yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Great to talk to you both about. So thank you. And God bless you for being here. Thank you so much.